Hi all, thanks for tuning in and for your support. Welcome to the second ever Theology Seeking Faith in Durham podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Somerville. Um, so, in short, I'm a theology and religion student at Durham, um, and I'll just be exploring questions and issues of personal Christian faith, but also of modern academic critical theological and biblical studies and how to integrate and merge the two as is really important in the modern world particularly in academia and at the university um so this week we are going to be looking at the kingdom of heaven what is it what is it like which analogies and parables does jesus use to describe it how do we get there and what's its relation to this current world this current life. So um, Dostoevsky, through his character Prince Mishkin, in his uh, excellent uh, but quite long semi-biographical novel, The Idiot, um, has his character say, it's easier to go to the other place referring to heaven if you know what it would be like there in advance. Which I think makes an interesting point, because most of the parables that Jesus uses to talk about the kingdom of heaven when he explicitly mentions it, are uh, analogies and parables, and they're analogies and parables about how to get there. So, for example, the kingdom of heaven is, you know, like um, the camel in the eye of the needle. It's um, it's a narrow path. It's a restricted path. Only Christianity, or you know, um, I am the door uh, of the sheepfold. I am the gate, as Jesus says in John's gospel in the I am sayings. Or, for example, with kingdom um, fans like a mustard seed, you know, you need faith that's only as small as a mustard seed to get there. It's not works, it's not proportionate reward, it's not getting your due or getting paid your wages, but that's what it is. Um, and that's, I think, really important because he very rarely talks about what the kingdom of heaven is or what it is like. It's more about how to get there. And I think that's a very important point. So does... Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven itself and what it is like. Well, he talks about sort of the the d- divine heavenly marriage between Christ and his church. He talks about the heavenly banquet. He talks about there being many rooms in his father's house. So as many as um, are people who accept him, receive him, and believe and trust in him, and um, will thus have the righteousness of Jesus imputed into them and transferred onto them by the father because they've chosen to accept him, receive him, believe and trust in him, not because of what they've done, not because of anything that's been owed to them. When we're talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like, I think there's a couple of things here. First of all, it's like trying to imagine what God is like, God the Father is like. Um, it's very difficult because he's beyond uh, human standing, he's beyond physical understanding, he's beyond rational, um, logical thinking, he's beyond science, he's beyond empirical um, experience and so it's an impossible task and I'm not really sure it's that helpful either. I think the other thing to say here is that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, even when he's trying to describe what it's like, it's it's not particularly helpful because all um, analogies are imperfect and there's always discrepancies and anomalies and etc. So I think that's very important to remember. I'd also say that um, I think 
we need to remember that, well, when we're talking about God, uh, therefore, when we're talking about heaven, therefore, we need to look at negative theology and use that um, language, and apophatic theology is sometimes called. So we need to say, okay, what is God definitely not? What will there definitely not be in heaven? Will there definitely not be any, any pain, any physical and mental pain, any ailments, any illness, any disease? Now, um, also, you know, you can say that we will have physically resurrected uh, visible bodies, right? Um, and our souls will be there because our souls just continue on because they're eternal and immortal. Or they're immortal, rather. Um, but our, our bodies will die. When we die, they'll then be resurrected, raised as Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, and Jesus himself were. And then we will have a bodily, corporeal existence in heaven that will mean we get to re retain our identity and there'll be continuity in our identity so we can recognise people, we can see our relatives, our friends, our family, etc. However, our bodies will also, as the creeds and liturgy say, be conformed to the image of Christ and his glorious body. That then poses a question of, well, intrinsic to the human condition, intrinsic to who we are here on earth, is the fact that our bodies are spatial, they're located within space, they're temporal, they're located within time, they're limited, they're restricted, they're physical, they're visible. They're not immortal, they're invisible. Um, and so how can we have continuity in our identity, but then also, at the same time, uh, have a bodily resurrection, but then and get our old bodies back in a more glorified form, but then also keep an element of our um, identity whilst having it conformed to the Christ body, which is perfect. I think that's a theological uh, apparent antinomy. I think it's a mystery. I think it's a paradox. Just as how can Jesus be both fully human and fully divine simultaneously at the same time? How can he? How can God be both fully one God but also fully three persons at the same time? How can God be loving and also allow suffering? Or the scientific secular analogy: How can um, light be both fully a particle and fully a wave? simultaneously at the same time. We look at the evidence and we know that both uh, both truths must be true. Both truths are proven. They're theorems, not theories. They're already proven. But then when we look at them together, we think, oh golly, they can't seem to fit. That's because not everything in existence is rational, because there is a, a God who is supernatural who exists outside. And he, even to use the word existence to talk about God or about heaven makes no sense, because in existence implies contingency, it implies reliance, dependence on an external source. Anyway, I digress. Um, so I think, you know, the main way we can talk about heaven is saying it is not going to have any pain, not going to have any suffering, not going to have any evil. It's going to be perfection, it's going to be goodness, it's going to be love, it's going to be justice, it's going to be care. All those positive attributes, it's going to be beauty. We're not going to be married because we don't believe in, in marriage in the afterlife. Uh, the Mormons and other uh, denominations and sects do, but we, we don't as Christians. So I think that's important. Um, now we come on to a more, uh, arguably a more pressing matter in this day and age, and that is, is the kingdom of heaven near or here? Uh, so a lot of charismatic evangelicals, particularly prominent ones that are in the media, and the press a lot, and particularly in America. Uh, so, for example, Bethel Church, particularly uh, Pastor Brian Johnson, will say the kingdom of heaven is already here. It's here and now. We're making it, and 
that's that. But that's a nonsense to me, because if Christ's death was all about overcoming the powers of, of evil and death and sin, in this life they haven't been overcome yet. Is that because the cross has failed? No, it's because the victory's already been won, we know the battle's already been won, we know that we're victorious when we trust in Christ, we just haven't realised and acknowledged the victory yet, because we're not, we haven't died yet and been resurrected and gone into heaven and the afterlife. Because what Jesus did was he unlocked the gate. He gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew says. So, and that's what it says in Matthew 16. So it's really important to bear that in mind. I'm the door, I'm the gate of the sheepfold, and, that, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, for who, God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So I think that's really important um, to refute that because I think that's actually quite a heresy. And I don't use that word lightly, I very rarely use the word heresy, but I think it is. Also, um, the great Russian uh, author and um, later in later life radical Christian thinker, Leo Tolstoy, in his later life became very uh, religious, um, became quite a sort of socialist, um, quite fundamentalist, almost literalist Christian. And uh, he wrote a book uh, that in English at least has been translated as uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Um, and other people translate different parts as saying, you know, the kingdom of heaven is among you. This is not true. This is at best a mistranslation, whether deliberate, willful or by accident, at worst a purposeful misinterpretation or maybe an accidental one. Uh, and I think it's very important to remember that because you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? It means that now you've got to make the decision. Do we believe in Christ and then get eternal life when we die? Or do we not believe in Christ and turn that down? He's saying the decision is imminent because you could die at any moment. Christ could return, the second coming at any moment. That's what it means by, by that. Um, that's what it means by that. He's saying the decision is yours to make and you must make it now because you don't know how much time you've got left in terms of your life, in terms of Christ's second coming as well. That's the first thing. The second thing is he says, it's near. It doesn't say it's here, he says it's near. And if it was on earth, that wouldn't make any sense. Um, because, you know, why does he say in my father's house? Why don't you just say here or next door or in Bill's house? Uh, you know, so it's definitely some, it's definitely not in this world. And, you know, as one of my lecturers, um, Dr. Mida and Volpeers uh, always used to say, God is not a thing in the universe. He is no thing. He's not nothing. He's no thing. He's not a thing. Right? So he's not located within space or time. He's completely outside of time. He's atemporal. He's timeless. And he's aspatial as well. And it's the same for the kingdom of heaven. I think that's a really important distinction to make and an important fact to remember. Um, so often we say, Oh, the kingdom of heaven is up there, or we say the big man upstairs. Well, actually, it could be actually, you know, it, it's not located within space or time, so we can't know where it is because it isn't there in the sense that it's not a thing in the universe, in our in the universe for our experience. And I think that's that's very important to to remember. Um and I think it's really important to remember that. We mustn't have the view, as many med medieval Christians did, that this earthly life, it's just suffering, it's solely suffering, it's pain, it's tragedy, it's death, it's sickness, it's illness, it's sin. And 
this is just a means to an end um, for the afterlife. As if God had had no plan in this life, as if this life was just a mistake. Just a first attempt and it didn't work. No, not at all. God can bring about good through suffering. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes suffering can cause people to respond um, worse. Sometimes it can just not change their things. Sometimes it can just be very, very painful and seem meaningless in that raw moment. Uh, and these are deep mysteries of human existence and of God and his way that he acts in the world and his nature. But I think we've got to remember, as the Christian aid motto used to be, we believe in life before death as well as life after death. So yes, we believe there's a glorious afterlife. Yes, we believe that it's very important. Yes, as the Reverend Simon Tillotson used to say, and still does, you know, it's the underpilling, it's the pillar that's upholding us and encouraging us and giving us hope in this earthly life of suffering. Um, but equally, uh, this life is not just simply a means to an end. There is a point to human existence, there is a meaning, there is a responsibility for us to evangelize, spread the good news, uh, do good deeds to others that flow from our faith, but that don't save us. And I think that's very important not to fall into that, that trap. Um, and yeah, so I think that that's mostly what I wanted to say uh, this week. So if you have any questions, put them in the comments below, any feedback. Um, and let me know what you'd like to do the next week's podcast on and I'll, uh, I'll get going on that. Thanks for listening and look forward to you tuning in next week. Bye.